Welcome to the Let's Get Real podcast with Justin and Trisha Davis, where we invite you into honest conversations about life, love, and leadership. Welcome to season three. Welcome to the Let's Get Real podcast. This is episode 29, and Justin and I are, I think we're excited about this conversation because it's on parenting. And we have been amazing parents for 27 years. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, But regardless, if you are a parent or you're not a parent, I believe that this is a great conversation for you maybe to learn a little bit about, especially if you're an adult, about how your parents respond to you in adulthood. Um, And then also if you're in the middle of raising littles, uh, we're going to pretty much just do an overview of like all the things that we have learned over being a parent for the past 27 years. So Justin, let's start <laughs> This episode off. is going to last about three minutes because we're going to share with you all of our knowledge on parenting. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've been, we, we have been great parents, not perfect parents. That's for sure. But my, one of my favorite stories is the, you know, like the first story of parenthood of Justin and I were in college. We were 20. Yeah. We were 20 and 21. We'd been mm-hmm. married for a hot minute, like four months. Yep. I got really sick over Thanksgiving and then I just continued to be sick. I just don't know what was going on with me. So I went to the doctors and if you've hung out on this podcast, you know that Justin is an amazing hypochondriac. <laughs> and so this has been true of him. So when I was sick for like a couple of weeks, it freaked you out. Like you were freaking out. Well, for the, for the record, we had to go to this marriage conference because I was in this class. I needed this class to graduate. <laughs> I forgot about this class. It was called something about oh, marriage enrichment. <laughs> and it was a Monday night class. And Trish had to come with me, even though she didn't get credit for it. She had to audit it. And so she had to go with me to this class. For the record, we had to take this dumb class because you skipped class the prior semester Semester, failed a class and so So i needed needed an elective yes yeah so we thought let's kill two birds with one stone let's improve our marriage and hopefully we're not the two birds (laughs) allow me to graduate so anyway so part of the requirement of this class was a weekend marriage conference and so we go to this marriage conference and trish is just in such a bad mood all weekend we get in this huge argument because she says she's tired. She says she doesn't feel good. I'm like, can't you just participate? Can't you just engage? Okay, Don't you so know how I need to get this Let's grade? just say, like, if you're listening, you know, if you're sitting in your car listening, you're at home, wherever you are listening to this podcast, You, I want you to think about a time where you were just, like, so sick. Like, maybe you got food poisoning. Uh, maybe you'll discover, like, why I was sick. And... Like you were so, so sick that you were shocked when people were like, are you not feeling okay? Are you not doing well? And you're like, uh, no, I'm not, you know, like this was this kind of moment. So anyway, so we, we get through the thing and then Trish is like, we get back from that marriage retreat and Trish is like, I got to go to the doctor. And so we, we were basically on public aid because we were college students with no insurance. And so we go to this clinic down the street from our apartment and I don't know why I even went with you, but I went with you. Because you were, because you, in your hypochondriacness, you were just, you thought something was really, really wrong with me. Yeah. Because, I mean, 
we were engaged for a year before we got married and you'd never like really see me like go down with the ship like that. And I was Except for one time at my house that you couldn't go to the bathroom. Oh, that's, that's another story for another time. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. Okay. So <laughs> then there is that we are going to edit that part out of this podcast. So we go to the doctors and honestly, I don't even know how we got to the topic of the doctor saying, should we do a pregnancy test? And both of Jess and I were like, dude, we have been married for four months. We're still trying to figure this out. And so I take the pregnancy test and I am like pregnant, pregnant. And I, <laughs> is there any other way? Like, is, there any, is there any other way of be, to be pregnant? Well, I think you're either hundred percent <laughs> pregnant or you're hundred percent not. Well, sometimes you can get a false positive, gotcha. but it was like, and I was like, we've had sex like three times in four months. Like, I don't think, I don't know how she got pregnant. I mean, that's not true. We're cutting that out as well. What is wrong? You guys were recording this on a Friday. Maybe we should not record on Fridays. We're a little punchy. But so I take this pregnancy test. Now, I want to remind you guys, I am a college student and I've been married for four months and I'm 20 years old. And we eventually wanted kids, but it wasn't like this was ever planned. Um, so the doctor comes back. He says, you are indeed pregnant. I start to cry. Justin literally loses his mind out of excitement as if we had been trying for years. And I finally found out that I was pregnant. Like you went bonkers. I did. You know, I think, I mean, this is the let's get real podcast. So I'm going to get a little bit vulnerable. Um, I had this just so the such demented view of God um, at that stage of my life and really for a long time uh, where I had made some sexual mistakes in high school, um, had really made some poor decisions in the area of purity. And so I had this belief that God was going to punish me um, by not allowing me to have kids. And that was like literally a theological belief that I had. It was like this core fear that I had in my life. And so when Trish found out that she was pregnant, it was like, I mean, obviously I was excited about the baby, but I was, I was like more excited that, that God didn't hate me. It was kind of how I felt. It was like yeah. this double, um, you know, this double feeling. And I, w I literally lost my mind. I was like, <laughs> hugged the doctor, started running around this little exam room. And it's like, did he, did we, he I mean, think he said I, we won the lottery? When I say or? we had no money, we, were we had so no broke. money. I made $100 a week. <laughs> Trish made probably about the same amount working out of daycare. We could not afford a bedroom set for our house. So there was this auction house in Lincoln, Illinois, where we rented to own our bed for $15 a week. I mean, that's how, that's how poor we were. Yeah. And so she was thinking about how are we going to afford this? And I was just thinking, oh my gosh, it's the son that's going to equal Michael Jordan in the NBA someday. So if you're <laughs> listening to this, maybe you're like the, the baby, like if our, our son was listening to this, uh, he would just be like cracking up. Or maybe you have your own story of experiencing that you're pregnant or that your wife is pregnant. And I think that's why Justin and I always laugh when people are like, we're, we don't know when we're going to be ready. And we're like, shoot, <laughs> we had no idea. You're never ready. But even though that was our origin story of, you know, becoming parents, I will say in those early years of parenting, I don't know, there was just an ease with Justin and I about being parents. Now, motherhood, 
I was a little bit of a high, high, high strung. I said little bit, and then I had to say high, high a couple of times. <laughs> you uh, made it want to make yourself feel better. Yeah, I, I was a very high strung mom. I was very fear based. I don't. I, I've discovered why, you know, in the latter years of my life, but in those early years, um, this the fragility of parenting. I just thought I was going to do it all wrong and I was going to mess this human up. And it really was this reminder, even from the very beginning, from my point of view, as much as I loved being parents, as a mom, I had this perception that I was probably going to fail more than succeed. And I don't know, what was your, I feel like you were probably on the opposite pendulum. You just were like, ride or die. This is, we're, we're just, this is going to be amazing. Well, I think I had a very distinct vision for how I wanted to be as a dad. And I feel like for the most part, obviously I, I made a lot of mistakes. The first 10 years of our marriage, you know, we kind of built our identity around the church and around ministry. And so I think that definitely contributed to some dysfunction in our parenting and just how, you know, the, the church was prioritized. But I was, I mean, I've, I've spoken about this on, on the podcast before. In the middle of abuse, you don't realize that you're being abused. And so looking back on it now, I was abused as a kid. Like my dad was very abusive to me, uh, verbally, physically, um, emotionally, uh, would call me names, you know, literally had, we had physical altercations when I was, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old. And so I knew that I did not want to be that way with my kids. Like I, I knew that that was not a part of, that was not going to be a part of how I parented. And so I don't, I don't think I've had, I've had a short fuse at times. I've had, I've, I have uh, struggled with patience at times, but I haven't, I haven't struggled with like losing my temper or losing control or I've never, I don't think I've ever called our kids names. I may have told our kids to shut up once or twice. Like, you know, I have, I've never cussed at them. Like there's certain things that like were just off limits to me. Mm. And I just said, no matter what happens, I'm not going to do that. Now, have I messed up? Have I alienated kids? Have I, uh, spanked a kid too hard when they were little. Absolutely. Um, so I think there, there has been, but I think I had a vision for not necessarily the type of parent I wanted to be, but the type of parent I did not want to be. Hmm. So, I mean, there you have it, folks. I, we were amazing parents. We parented out of fear <laughs> and out of, um, I want to say spite, but like wanting to do it different. But there was a natural ease uh, to parenting in those early years. At the same time, parenting is really hard. Like we, by the age of 28, I had had my third baby. And so it was just, it was like full on, full tilt. But I think what's for our story of parenting, because we became parents at such an early age, we had no idea, no idea how to adult. Like we were learning how to adult while we were raising kids. Yeah. I feel like that was an advantage in some ways. You know, there's a, um, there's a book by Malcolm Gladwell. I think it's called David and Goliath or something like that, but it talks about basically the, that David had, he, he points out that everybody looks at David as the underdog and his, there was certain advantages that David had by being small and by using a slingshot. And I think, 
you can say there is a probably, you know, financial aspect to it. There's definitely a maturity aspect to it that, yeah, um, we were really young raising kids, but I think that was like a, that was like a secret sauce too for us Mm. because we kind of grew up with our kids and it, I don't know, there was a relational aspect to our parenting that we didn't really have to teach or really didn't have to choose. It was more natural. It felt like it was more natural. Mm-hmm. Like looking back, like we, we have, you know, now that we've been married for 28 years, we have, you know, five kids, 27, 24, 20, 15 and 13. We get asked a lot about um, our kids and what we, you know, they're, they're all great kids. I mean, they're, they're you're, you're going to hear them on the podcast this month. Yeah. So like if you want to fact check us, we're next uh, in the next podcast. Uh, Episode 30. Episode 30 is an interview with our three older kids, our three biological kids. Um, as Justin mentioned, our 27, 24, and 20. Hey, I remember their names. I'm winning. Um, so they, they give a great perspective. But that that's our story of parenting. And now over the past 27 years and entering into parenting adult children, which just sounds weird just to say for so many reasons that we get asked all the time of like, what are some of the main lessons you have learned in parenting? And that's really what we want to share with you. We literally could probably do a whole year's worth of, of a podcast on different seasons of parenting. Um, when I, when I speak with women, um, particularly on motherhood, there's three distinct stages of, of, of parenting. And there's the nurturing where it's like full on where you pick out your kids clothes, you feed them, you boss them. Basically what you do for me right now. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of editing in this podcast. Um, and then there's, they move into middle school, high school where parenting becomes coaching. And as a coach, you still, you know, call the plays, you blow the whistle to say, you know, we're taking a timeout. Um, but what's different as, uh, the season of coaching as a parent is you cannot get in the game for your kids. Like you, you can't be in the midst of the bully at middle school. You can't be in the midst of if they're going to choose, you know, a certain academic or a certain, um, you know, curricular activity, they have to choose it. And then they go away to college and there's this very significant shift that happens when your kids leave the house that you go from a coach to a mentor. And in mentoring, it's all about being invited in. And so you don't hold the whistle. You don't call the plays. It's really an invitation for your kids to want you to be a part of their life and them invite you into um, questions and struggles and what ifs or how to's. And throughout all of those stages, Justin and I have seen just a couple of core um, choices that we have continued to make in every single one of those stages. Well, and I think we don't typically the podcast isn't typically like, Hey, let us give you five happy hops to great parenting. That's not really the, the, the model, but we wanted to like really be practical and really kind of like give you, if you are a parent, I don't think it matters what age your kids are. 
um, because I think these principles that we've tried to kind of uh, live by and really be intentional about implementing into our into our life. And here's what I here's why I think this is important because that that mentoring stage is them inviting you back in. I think some of these things set the table for that. Like you may not see the payoff of some of these things at age 10 or 13 or seven, Mm -hmm. but if you're consistent and kind of are mindful of some of these principles, I think you'll see them at age 20 and 25 and 27 uh, as we have seen. And so, um, you know, we're not going to go like one and then sub point a, you know, like (laughs) we're we're, going to try to be a little bit, um, you know, less formal than that, but there are certain principles that we really want to share with you that I think are going to be really helpful uh, no matter what age your kids are. I think the first one that we've learned is to lead relationally. Like that, that sounds like a very like, well, I mean, I heard years ago, um, Dr. James Dobson from focus on the family way back in the day, uh, said rules without relationship equals rebellion. And that, that phrase or that, I don't know, it just, it just stuck with me. I I, mean, mm-hmm. I I think I heard it at a conference when I was, you know, maybe 25, 27 years old, something like that. And it just stuck with me that you, you, you don't want to be your kid's best friend. Like it's not your job to be their friend. You're supposed to be their parent. And I think sometimes when you only try to be their friend and you try to be the cool one and you try to, you know, make sure that, that they're going to love you forever, then it becomes a codependent relationship. But I think, you know, if you, if you are able to keep that phrase in mind, rules without relationship equals rebellion, what it basically means is, is it important to have rules? Absolutely. But those rules are an overflow of the intentional relationship that you're building, you know, with your kids. Yeah. I mean, leading relationally is all about placing value. And this isn't the, oh my gosh, I hear this conversation with so many people who are like, you know, millennials are going to hell in a handbasket because they were given certificates for all the things and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know what, they, they had their own kind of hard in a different way. And so it's, it's learning how to place value, whether it's your two-year-old, um, I mean, when my kids were all, every single one of them are different personalities, but when they were three, I think I wanted to get rid of all of them. I mean, they were just, they were rough, but leading relationally is being willing to recognize that they are not 30 year olds. And so leading relationally is choosing to do the hard work that when you go, why would you do that? Like, dude, what were you thinking? And most of the time it's like, well, because they weren't, because they're five. Well, I think I think we, we made, and we still make conscious choices to build a relationship. You can't lead relationally um, if you're not being intentional, right? So when the kids were, when, when our boys were in middle school and high school, I would go out to breakfast with, with them individually, you know, once a week, or then it kind of got to be once a month. Um, even, you know, Trish would take them out to the movies or she would uh, have a mom son date, or there were certain things that we built into our schedule that were, we could not just know statistics about them, right? Like they're in, yeah. they're in eighth grade and they have social studies homework and they have a C minus in algebra. And those are stats, right? Um, but knowing their heart, knowing their insecurities, knowing, um, and th- this is so powerful because 
um, last year when our um, son Isaiah was a freshman in college, because Trish had put in those reps of not just knowing about him, but knowing him, um, there was a season he was going through and Trish just said, something is not, not right. Not, not like in a moral way, but more in an emotional way. And she just, she just had made it a, a habit of asking questions. And that's, that's really what relationships are built on is discovery, right? And getting to know the person's heart. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen through accusations. Right. I think that like is a very strong distinction to make the difference between, um, accusations, even when you don't mean it, but, um, inquisitive, yeah. like how to ask inquisitive out of curiosity that makes them feel valued. Like yeah. the whole thing about relationship is, am I valued in this relationship? So that when hard things need to be said, that there's so much value that's been placed in that relationship that they're able to to lean in and, and are willing to listen. Yeah. Like, like I can give an example, like when your husband leaves the cabinet door open <laughs> and you ask a question, <laughs> but it's not inquisitive. It's an accusation. You say, are you done getting a coffee mug? <laughs> right. It's a question. This is on parenting, not marriage, <laughs> but it's so. an accusation. <laughs> so don't do that. Uh, don't leave it open and don't ask like that. <laughs> um, but, I, but I do think that there is that, that aspect of, um, and, and and I'll just kind of tell you a little bit about uh, some of uh, kind of a failure in this in this for me. Um, each of your kids don't relate to you in the same way, and so one of the mistakes I made in this area, and I I tried to do some course corrections as as the kids got older, but I, I was never never perfect at it, and there was been some residual like counseling and in conversations that we've had to have, but. Um, I love basketball and two of my three older boys love basketball and my third one doesn't. And so it was very, very easy for me to relate to one of them through, or to two of them through basketball. And to Elijah's credit, he tried to play basketball and he, you know, he played upward and he played boys club and he, he, he tried to fit the mold. And so it, it was up to me. It's not up to them. It's up to me as the parent to figure out what does he relate to and how can I learn what he or she is passionate about. And so that, that, is, that is your responsibility as a parent to not have your kids relate to you, but to meet them where they are and what they're passionate about, what their gifts are, because not all of them are going to be the same. Uh, the, the second thing that I think has kind of been a guiding uh, principle for us is your words mean less than your actions. And this is hard because I like talking. I like hearing myself talk. I, I think I have some really good <laughs> illustrations. I have some really good stories that I tell. Um, I've got some really good points that I like to make with my kids. Um, but they don't remember your words as much as they remember your actions. And so I can say to them, don't talk to your mom like that. But if I'm talking to their mom like that, it's not going to have the weight that I think it should. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, people will say, well, what, what does that mean then? Like, what's too long? The, the shorter and quicker version that you can give to leave more room for their response will always be a win. Because they don't hear beyond that. And then what they want to hear, they will ask. But that doesn't seem fair. 
that's not, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't understand. A lot of time those, those complaints we get in response are a true question of why, why do I have to do that? Right. And I think if you're, if, if your actions are not matching your words, then there's an incongruency. And so they're going to put up defenses. They're going to give you excuses. They're going to question your authority because they don't see your um, character matching the the way that you're calling them to live. And, and so I think you can have good intentions, but at the end of the day, it's the choices that you are making as a parent that are going to determine the way that your kids respect you and listen to you and give you give value to the instructions that you're giving them. Do they see that being lived out in your life? Yeah. Yeah. I, again, like, I feel like this is why Justin, I don't really do like, here's five happy hops. Cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's so much to unpack in what you just said. Um, but for the sake of time, we're going to be, we're going to move on this. The, the next one will not surprise any of you. And I think it has been, um, the secret sauce of every single thing that we have done in every season of parenting, whether that be in the nurturing and the coaching and now in the mentoring with our bigs being adults is being vulnerable. And, and I remember like, our second oldest, um, he had severe asthma and was just such a sick baby. And just, he was just struggled and it was just so, it was so sad. And in those early years, like I can remember when he was like three, I would literally have to put him in this, like, like put him on my lap and then strap my legs like around his legs to get him to keep his mask on to receive his breathing treatment because it literally was life or death. It was horrible. And I remember I started crying and Elijah thought I was crying because I was upset with him. And I was crying because I, I hated that we had to do this. And so in that vulnerability, it's like, it's being aware, it's taking the temperature of what's going on. And then being the adult in the room to say what needs to be said right now. Mm -hmm. And in that vulnerability, I had to say to Elijah, hey, buddy, I, mommy is just, I, my, I'm sad for you. I, 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 I love you, and I'm so sorry you have to do this. Like, I had to be vulnerable of why I was crying. Yeah. Um, but there's appropriate vulnerability, and I think that that's why, as parents, we don't choose to be vulnerable because we have no idea, like, what is too much and what is enough. And that goes back to what we said the prior one is that let your kids dictate that. Give them, if you are saying so many words, which I'm just going to, man, I'm going to throw myself under the bus here. I'm awful at this, which is weird because I'm not awful with this with anybody else except for my kids. I talk too much and I have to literally tell myself, stop talking because the more I talk, one, the less that they get, you know, invested in what I'm saying. And two, I'm not giving them room to be able to respond with what's going on in my vulnerability. You know, if I say to them, I get in the car, I slam the door and I, and I like go off on them for something that's not even about them. And then I'm vulnerable of like, Hey, I'm really sorry. I had a bad day. And then I just go on and on and on about my bad day. It's not a teaching lesson. I'm just using my kids as a place to, 
to say all the things. Vulnerability is being willing to say the why. It's it's a, a willingness to say, I'm sorry. It's a willingness to say, I don't know. And then allowing your kids to have the space and the opportunity to respond to that vulnerability because that's where like the treasured lessons are learned. Yeah. So I would, I'm just encourage you, like admit that you don't know the answer. Sometimes you don't have to have all the answers, you know, allow your kids to see you struggle uh, to make a decision, uh, share your mistakes with your kids, not like in detail, but like if you, if you're, if you have a seven year old and you know, they broke their brother's toy. Tell a story about the t- a time that you made a mistake when you were seven or eight. Like get down to their level. Allow them to see you as a human being. Um, you know, they, they need to see you struggle in your relationship with God. One of the, you know, you're going to hear this in the uh, episode with our kids, but one of the things that they said in, in the episode that we, where we talked about them is that our faith wasn't packaged and perfect all the time as a family. It was raw mm-hmm. and open and honest. And what it allowed them to do through that vulnerability, it allowed them to see grace. Sometimes we don't experience grace in our families because our kids don't think that we need it. Right. And so when you admit a mistake or when you admit that you're wrong, you, you give a picture of reconciliation to your kids that they don't feel like they have to be perfect because mom and dad aren't perfect. And that's, I think that's a really healthy lesson for our kids, not just to learn on, you know, as far as like their behavior, but really in their own personal relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And I, I think a mantra, I, we've, I think I've said this on the podcast, but I think that this has been a mantra of having, especially moving into having adult kids. Because listen, when you have kids in the early years, at least for a mom, we have these like crazy books called like what to expect when you're expecting. Um, We, you know, there's just different type of community that you share like, oh my gosh, my kid's not potty trained and he's seven. Um, Not really, but you know, like we share those stories. Well, when your kids get older, especially as they become adults, their stories are their stories. So it isn't, it isn't my place to share their stories with other people. So it gets really confusing on like how to be vulnerable and, and what, what's appropriate. And so I think that leads us to kind of our last piece that we would, you know, encourage parents is you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. Like I I think in my mind, and once my kids were like for me personally in the season of like them being little was super hands-on and I loved, loved, loved it. But when my kids became like middle school, high school, I loved that stage. It, part of it is how I'm wired at like acts of service. So like, you know, like the 14th time they're like, well, I forgot my shoes. I'm like, no, I'm not bringing your shoes to school since you forgot them again. But just being able to interact in, with them in that way was just, it was, it was so much fun and super, super natural. And then my kids became adults. And I just assumed that our relationship was going ju- to be just as natural. And it hasn't been. And they'll tell you that. We have a great relationship. Um, but they're not saying, hey, let's pile on the whole van world. and so a mantra yeah, that we have like lived by over the past couple of years in this season of kids moving from a season of coaching or, you know, in, into permanent mentoring is that I can't take personal what is personal. And so like 
when they make decisions as adults, they're not saying, hey, mom, we didn't call you to do such and such because we were trying to hurt your feelings. Like, I'm just, I'm creating different memories in a different way. And that has been hard for me, shockingly hard. Like, I have been shocked at myself, but I've had to be willing to be uncomfortable and not go to a place of despair, but know, like, I think in our minds that once our kids turn 18, we have finished our job of parenting and then everything else should be bonus years. You know what I mean? Like we did all the hard work. Now that they're adults, it's just going to be easy, easy, easy. And there are beautiful, easy parts of it, but there's been unexpected hard that I was not prepared for. Well, I think, you know, you're experiencing some hard things now. I, I, you know, I think, you know, having a conversation about sex, that was uncomfortable. Having a conversation about girls and dating, that was uncomfortable. Having a conversation about um, kind of our story was uncomfortable. You know, having conversations about, you know, mental and emotional health is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like there, there are certain things that are just not easy to talk about, not easy to uh, engage in. But if we don't choose to engage in those moments with our kids, who is, who's going to, Yeah. Right. And so I think, you know, what you what I've what I've seen you do even in this season is push past your own comfortability and begin to understand, Okay, I may feel uncomfortable right now, but that's a part of it. And so I'm going to push past how I'm feeling and I'm still going to pursue the relationship Mm -hmm. in a way that's healthy in this season. Yeah. Right. And and so for for you, it might be uncomfortable for you to play with Barbie dolls uh, with your six year old daughter. Right. It, that might be uncomfortable, but it's worth it. It might be uncomfortable, you know, to have a puberty talk with your son. It, it is uncomfortable, but I, we know from experience it's worth it. And so I think pushing past our own emotion and saying, I am the parent and God has called me to do this. And what he's called me to, he's going to equip me for in whatever season I'm in. And, and I think that's been, it's been really cool because, um, there, there have been times where the uncomfortability that you felt with a certain child could have derailed that relationship. Mm-hmm. But because you chose to push through that and still pursue them, it brought a deeper level of understanding and a deeper level of love at the, in the, in, at the end mm-hmm. of it than you would have had had you just said, well, that's too uncomfortable. I'm not going to go there. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it, it's humbling. You know, it, it's humbling to do something for so long and feel like you're starting all over again. But I think it is through those different seasons of, um, you know, your kids being infants and needing you 24-7. And, and some of us as parents love that season and we're really good at it. And others, you're like, I do not know. You know, we there there is a, like a gut level honesty that we have to first be honest with ourselves in our parenting and know, Hey, if you're entering a season that you know that raising a teenager has been a lot harder than you thought it would be part of that, like being uncomfortable and being vulnerable in, in living in truth is to first recognize where you fit in the equation. And I love my kids, but it isn't all about them, right? There's an equality that eventually comes out of having adult kids that is beautiful but if we're trying to if, I, if I'm trying to relate to my kids as if they were still in the nurturing stage infant stage it's one it would be weird and two there's there's gonna 
there's going to be conflict. And so just so much grace in parenting that it is kind of this wild, chaotic, amazing, wouldn't change it for the world ride. And, you know, for maybe you're listening and you have a child who has special differences and, you know, it is, it's caused you to be on a a different path than a lot of your friends. And you've lived with the frustration or maybe the guilt of that. Uh, Maybe you have a child who, you know, has just really struggled in life with mental health issues and you haven't had pictures at prom or you haven't had I think the older that we have gotten, what we have learned is that your kid as an individual will always matter way more than who they fit in society. And so if you can advocate for them, for who they are and how God has created them, they will find their way through society knowing solidly like who they are and who they belong to, not only in their relationship with Jesus, if, if they are a person of faith, but also the knowledge like that is the ultimate picture of home. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the things that I think I want to encourage you guys as we kind of close this episode is no matter what age your kids are, no matter what stage of life they're in, belonging is powerful. Yes. And you have the capacity to create a sense of belonging for your kid that no matter what, they can always come home. No matter what, they can always have a hug. No matter what, they can always be forgiven. No matter what, um, they always belong. And we have kids that have made that easy and we have kids that have made that difficult. Um, but they, they know that no matter what happens, they have a place to belong and that helps them feel a sense of security and a sense of identity that really as parents only we can provide. The, the world can try to provide it. Their career at some point can try to provide it. But it comes because God has given us the mantle of leadership in their lives to be able to point, uh, point them to him who is obviously the author of belonging and the author of identity. And, uh, and so that's a really cool privilege that we do have as parents. So thanks for joining us for this episode. Hope it was helpful. Um, We will look forward to our next episode where we're going to be joined by three guests. uh, And we think they're the best kids on the planet. Um, But hopefully you'll enjoy the conversation we have with them in our next episode. And it is Christmas time and a great uh, Christmas gift for you uh, to buy would be being real is greater than being perfect. And uh, I tell a lot of stories in the book about what a bad dad I am. And so it goes, <laughs> it's going to fit right in with the theme that we're having. So you can go to Amazon. It's 10% off right now for the holidays. And you can pick up a book for you or for your kid uh, and help them discover that being real is greater than being perfect. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>